Hello, welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey Blackburn. I am one of your hosts, and today Aubrey Sampson is not in the studio with us. Uh, today's going to be a little bit different of a format of an episode. We uh, do not have a formal interview um, because as of today, the release of this podcast, it is about one week removed from what should have been the conclusion of my late wife Amanda's jury trial. Um, and it, it did conclude for this one, but it concluded in a very disappointing outcome for us. I know many of you guys have been praying for us, uh, over the past couple of weeks as we've prepared for the trial that was supposed to commence December 6th. And then it was supposed to conclude at the end of that week, I think what December 10th. Um, and, uh, at, at the very outset, the trial was ruled a mistrial and was rescheduled to April 25th. And um, I thought that maybe it would be uh, important, especially since we really ramped things up and, um, and, we, and we, we communicated the trial uh, for the first time in a long time with, to so many of you in our email list and, and over text messages, and, and many of you guys were praying for us. I thought it was really, would be really appropriate and really important for me to jump on here and just kind of give some of my reflections about this. Um, this it's been a pretty tough week because of the ruling of the mistrial. Let me let me tell you first kind of what happened, and then I'll dive into how I feel about it. Um, basically, uh, in general terms, what happened is the the jury pool was tainted, and um, the the judge before the trial started and right after the jury had been seated the judge leaked some information that was supposed to stay out of the trial, supposed to be omitted from the trial, and the jury was not supposed to know about this. Um, many of you guys may have read this in the news. I know it probably creates a lot of confusion. There's a lot of complex emotions that I have over it as well. Um, but essentially, the jury, uh, the defense had moved for um, the fact that Amanda was pregnant at the time of her murder for that to be omitted from the information shared in the trial and omitted from the information that would be, um, that would be weighed on whether or not Larry Taylor, who is the, the defendant, whether or not he is guilty. Um, the, the judge actually, uh, the, the judge granted that, um, granted that motion from the defense and, um, because the defense moved that that would emotionally sway the jury and would taint their ability to decide whether or not from the facts, Larry Taylor is guilty. Um, then the prosecution moved for an enhancement on the conviction, uh, assuming that he is convicted. So an enhancement on the sentencing uh, so that, so that the, the facts that she was pregnant would be brought back in and, and would enhance the sentencing from there. Uh, Essentially, what happened is the jur the the judge accidentally leaked that information to the seated jury that uh, she was pregnant at the time of murder. Um, now I don't need to go into all the specifics about it, but because of that, he felt like it was such an uh, egregious error that he went ahead and ruled for a mistrial. And um, this is a different type of mistrial. Sometimes there are rulings where there is a mistrial and the case is completely thrown out. Um, fortunately that was not the case here because the trial hadn't even started. This was one where basically they had to throw the jury out the, the seated jury and they had, they weren't able to find another date on the calendar, uh, sooner than April 25th to start this, um, this trial back up. So April 25th is now the new trial date. Um, now there's, there's a lot of emotions that we have. I mean, I was literally, driving downtown to the courthouse when I received a text message from the prosecutor saying that he was going to call me in a second, but it had been ruled a mistrial. And um, I, I don't know if I can communicate my disappointment in that for a lot of reasons. You know, this trial has been delayed a lot. I mean, this is over six years now since um, Amanda was murdered, and it feels like justice is being delayed. Um, you know, there's a lot of things I could say about our judicial system. I, and, I'll, and I'll kind of add this caveat. I do believe that in the known world, we have the best justice system there is. I mean, there is a lot of injustice that goes on all over the world. And so I know that we have a lot of complaints, a lot of issues with 
injustices here in the United States. <clears throat> and some of those are very valid. Um, many of those are very valid. However, this is the best justice system in the world, um, I believe. And yet it's very fallible. And so, you know, what's, what can be very frustrating is there is, uh, there is part of our justice system is just kind of a, a fo foundationally someone is innocent until proven guilty. And there is a lot of law surrounding the rights of the defendant for that reason. And that's supposed to prevent a lot of gross and grave injustices that have taken place over time where somebody gets, uh, you know, essentially convicted without a trial. And, um, you know, the, I get it. I understand that the, the, the hard thing for me to wrestle with, and I'm not saying I oppose it. I'm just saying it's difficult sitting in this seat. You know, um, as I share this publicly, I have to kind of divide, divorce myself from, okay, what am I trying to issue? And what am I trying to just share on as far as my feelings? If you're sitting down having a cup of coffee with me after this, I would say, you know, it's really feels unfair that it, that the rights of the victim, that, that those don't seem to be taken into consideration. Um, the reality is, is this has been delayed a lot. We've geared ourselves up for a trial. There's been trial dates. We've geared ourselves up. We planned accordingly. We've cleared our calendar. We've shifted things. We've, um, gotten ready emotionally for this. Um, and there's a, there's a huge emotional drag on our entire family as this gets brought up again. And then when it gets shifted, it's just, it just feels a lot like whiplash, um, emotionally and just, you know, practically speaking when it comes to our schedules and stuff. And so I, I'm disappointed for myself. I'm disappointed for my immediate family. I'm disappointed for my extended family, for the buyer's family. Um, you know, every single one of us had cleared this week. Now, honestly, we went into this week, weeks leading up to it going, kind of holding our breath. Like, I don't know if this will actually happen because unfortunately we've seen it moved so many times. And then as we got into the weekend before we're going, well, I think this might actually happen. And then the morning of it's like, okay, it's actually happening. And so everybody came down and cleared all of our schedules and work and, you know, created some plans to proactively try to, uh, emotionally process these things. Our plan was every evening, the buyer's family, my family, you know, my parents came up from North Carolina and buyer's family came down from Elkhart and we had a bunch of other extended family coming in town and that we, um, we proactively planned to have dinner at our house every night. And so we're getting sitters and we're getting meal plans put together and we're getting all of these different things that are just practical stressors just to try to preemptively, you know, uh, go on the offense with this. It's something that I try to teach you guys all the time when it comes to grief and trauma is, you know, don't take this back on your heels. If you know what's going to, what's, what's coming, if you're running toward the roar, as we talk about a lot, if you're facing the difficult things, Make sure you're doing it preemptively. Make sure you're going on the offense and schedule out the time to process. Schedule out the time to emotionally recoup from these things. And so we <clears throat> we had to our capabilities. You know, I decided to take the entire month of December off of work. I got my team, everybody at Nothing Is Wasted prepped for that as best as we possibly could. And said, okay, I'm going to take the rest of December off to just emotionally reprieve. I uh, said no to speaking engagements, which are very important to our ministry. Um, it's a very important <clears throat> kind of mechanism in our ministry is me speaking at churches and getting the word out there and sharing the story. And so we sidelined all of those. And so, you know, all that is to say is <clears throat> this has happened multiple times and it's, and it can be very, very frustrating. Now I don't communicate this in any way, in any kind of disdain toward, you know, um, anybody involved in the, the justice system or the judicial process at all. Like at the end of the day, what we've recognized in all of this is that there is no way we get up to this point. There's no way we get 30 minutes before the trial is supposed to actually start. And then something this just kind of almost outlandish, like crazy, like nobody has ever seen this happen before. Prosecutors even, you know, tell me that like that this has never happened before, or if it has, it's been an extreme rarity. There's no way we get up to this point and, and God not be in this. Like immediately when I got the text message, 
I was so disappointed. Like I would, my heart sunk. Um, it's like all the energy left me, you know, and you know, that feeling, you know, that feeling when you get just, you're just, it, it just depletes you all of a sudden in a moment. And yet in the very next moment, I had to look at it and go, this is totally God. There's no other explanation. And I say that to say that, you know, there's a lot of situations that we can look at in our lives and we can, and we can say, we can look at it through two different types of lenses. I was listening to the Bema podcast, B-E-M-A with Marty Solomon. It's one of the podcasts that I really enjoy listening to. You should definitely go check it out. I don't necessarily agree with everything that's on there, but I think it's very helpful in terms of stirring my affections for scripture and for, for the Lord. But there's an episode he talked about, and just happened to be the episode that I was in. You know, it's amazing. It just happens to be, right? Just so happens that God would, would, would put this particular episode in my flow of listening just a couple of weeks before we go into the trial. It's an episode called um, Good Eye. I think it's called The Good Eye. And it's where Jesus teaches about the eye being the lamp to the body. And that teaching can be kind of confusing. The eye is a lamp to the body, right? Well, what, what exactly does that mean? Well, what Jesus is referring to there, according to Marty and the Bema podcast, is that the, the rabbinical teaching of that time, what was commonly accepted is that there are two different ways to look at situations, to look at circumstances. One of those ways is through a good eye, as the rabbis would teach, and one of those ways is through a bad eye. And when you look at things through a good eye, it means you're looking at things in alignment with God's story. As you look at the story of God, the story of God is such that that says that he is making all things right. He is bringing all things under his feet, that any injustices, any wrongs, any uh, evil, any hurt, any pain, that ultimately that's going to be wiped away, that he's going to make it all right. As C.S. Lewis says, he's going to make all bad things untrue, right? That's the story of God. And that's that's if we, if we look at our situations through that lens, that's looking at it as the rabbis would call it through a good eye. And then that begins to inform our heart. And we know our heart moves everything that we do, right? It moves our behaviors, it moves our thoughts, it moves our our habits and our actions and ultimately it affects our life. And this is why Jesus so much pressed on the heart. And so if we align ourselves with God's story, we see things and we look at things and when they happen to us they go Okay, this is, this is God's got to be in this. There's no other explanation. The alternative to that is looking at it through a bad eye, and that is saying, okay, this is all just a random, sick, twisted string of events. All these coincidences, the universe, right? Karma, like all of these things that are just so chaotic and out of control. And that leads to a bad heart. It leads to distrust. It leads to worry. It leads to anxiousness. It leads to, and, and you know, I just honestly, through all of this, as I received that text message, the Lord brought me back to a good eye. And he reminded me, Davey, I'm in this. Um, and when you look at things through a good eye, it brings so much peace, so much peace. Um, well, God is so good in that <clears throat> as we... <laughs> As we continued throughout that day, he he continued to remind us. Now, I, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, let me say all this with a caveat. I went into about 48 hours of like an emotional just wallowing. Okay. Um, everything, like I came down from all of this emotionally. I think I was preparing myself. And then the rest of the day, I felt like I just sat there with this distant look on my face. Like I just didn't want to engage with people when I mean, we still had, we, you know, afterwards, after we met with the prosecutor and I'll tell you about that meeting with the prosecutor, cause it was extremely significant in terms of what God was doing, um, in, in us after we met with the prosecutor, we went over and we had tacos together. We had planned to have what's called Amanda tacos. It was a special way that Amanda made tacos and it's actually a buyer's tradition. And so, you know, the buyers came over and we ate some tacos and it was just, it was tough. I mean, it was just a kind of a sullen, um, we tried to bring as much energy and life into it as we could, but I don't think anybody really wanted to socialize. I don't think anybody really wanted to. And I certainly, I just sat there kind of like with a blank stare on my face. And then I think my body started, I don't know if I contracted something, I don't know, but I've, you know, been battling some feelings of being under the weather and some sickness over the past couple of days as well. And so I think that maybe all of that is correlated um, but I kind of spiraled for a couple of days there. Uh, 
anyways, all that being said, um, we went into, we went down to meet with the prosecutor and it was all of our families, like, you know, the buyers and my parents and my grandfather who lives here in Indianapolis. And, um, and it was the, it was the, it was a very difficult situation. I can only imagine the two kind of head prosecutors on the case, just to have their, their feelings. I mean, they've worked so hard on getting this case through and on, you know, making sure that they're well prepared for this. And then they're having to break the news to us again, yet again, that this is going to be delayed, that we were this close. I mean, 30 minutes from this thing starting and it's getting pushed back. And it was over like a simple error, you know, and that's, that's gotta be tough. And I did not envy their position at all, but there was something that happened there as we're in that room. We're, we're all kind of feeling this like weird tension and just, uh, again, sullenness, just frustration and anger. I mean, everybody had some different emotions there. Um, but at one point, Ross Anderson, who is the, the head prosecutor at one point, he, he kind of broke some of that tension. He was kind of sharing with us what had happened. And, and, he, and then he said this, he said, guys, I, I don't know what else to say other than I'm so sorry. And then he said, I want you to know that I'm not going anywhere and I will see this thing through. And I wish I could convey to you guys as you're listening to this, the level of, of comfort that brought in the room. And I don't remember if it was immediately after that or before it, you know, that my timeline's a little fuzzy on this, but, um, you know, dad buyers, Phil, Amanda's dad stepped up and he said, you know, we really appreciate that. That means a lot. And, you know, we all believe in something different. You know, we believe that there is another power that's in control and that's the power of God. And, this right here has God's sovereignty written all over it. And we don't have to like it, um, but we can trust. We can trust that God's plan is good and that he's going to see us through. And man, just like, I just started getting really weepy. Like just experiencing right there in, in, in the courtroom where, you know, Honestly, a courtroom, it represents kind of the, especially a criminal court like that, some of the worst evils that this world holds. And um, in that moment, we felt the power of the Holy Spirit just rush into that room. I don't know what everybody else felt, but that's what I felt. And I saw some some tears in everybody else's eyes too. And, and um, it's just amazing what the Holy Spirit can do when you just let the Holy Spirit breathe through you. I wish I could say I had the courage or the energy to step up and say that. But what immediately came to my mind when I experienced this was the verse um, in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. <laughs> it's so appropriate, you know, in a week, as, as we record this in a week, we're going to be celebrating Christmas and, um, I want to share in a little bit some some of the essence of Christmas, especially pertaining to when you feel like you're in a, a waiting room and things are being delayed. But um, Isaiah 9, 6, it, it just summed it up for me. It says, for unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. Look at this. And the government shall be on his shoulder. You see, this was written during a time where the Israelites were experiencing so much oppression. The government that they were under <laughs> was oppressing them so bad. And they were experiencing the government essentially on their shoulders, crushing them. And this says that the Messiah is going to come and the government, no matter how corrupt, no matter how imperfect, no matter how difficult the processes will be of the government, of politics, no matter how much injustice is done, the government's going to be on his shoulder and he's in control and he turns the hearts of Kings. And ultimately he's the one that moves the chess pieces to align things for his coming. 
and his future coming and the coming of his kingdom. And, and the government will be on his shoulder. And man, as soon as I like that thought came to my mind, I was like, it's like peace. Like the God's not surprised by this. This whole process is on his shoulders. I don't have to carry this. We don't have to carry this. The buyers don't have to carry this. Like this, this is being carried by God, Jesus, the Messiah. And then it says this, and his name shall be called Wonderful, which means everything that flows out of him is wonderful, right? Every good and perfect gift comes from above. But then this is what, this is what caught me. Counselor, the mighty God. Every time I had seen that word counselor up to this point, I had thought about a counselor like a therapist. You know, God's a comforter. Um, Paul's letter to the Corinthians tells us that he comforts us in all of our affliction or in a specific affliction so we can comfort other people in any affliction that they're going through. Okay. And so God's a comforter. He's a counselor. He's a therapist. He's the best one that there is. Okay. I, I, I do believe in counseling. I believe in therapy. I think all of that stuff is really, really good. God is the best one. But I saw this word counselor in a different way because as I'm standing in the courtroom looking at a counselor, what's another term for counselor? An attorney. Someone who um, helps to walk through the litigation process. And as I'm looking at this counselor, (laughs) he's saying, I'm not going anywhere. And I will see this through. And this case will be tried. And there will be a judgment. And there will be perfect restoration through this. And, um, man, Ross showed us a picture. I mean, just a picture. The reality is, is that Ross Anderson, I, I, I love him in the little time that I've gotten to spend time with him. I, I think he's a fantastic man, but he is human just like any of us. He's fallible. He doesn't fully know if he's going to, if he's not going to go anywhere. You know, we've had multiple prosecutors on this case because of how long it's been delayed. He can't know that for sure. Okay. And, and he can determine it all he wants to, but he can't know it for sure. And he can't, he can't know that he's going to see this through, but there is one who can, and there is one who will, one who will never leave us or forsake us. One who isn't going anywhere. One who is going to see this whole thing through and bring it to perfect justice I'm like perfect justice, guys. You see, here's the reality. The reality is, is that when this trial actually takes place and assuming that the defendant is guilty, um, assuming that he is convicted and assuming that he, there is a sentencing, I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter what his sentencing is. It's not going to bring Amanda back. Like as much as it, as much as we would like to think that it's going to help something or assuage something like I'm, we're going to walk out of that courtroom at the end of it. And it's going to be, this is still not right. This is still not right. Like the fact that there is crime and there is murder and there is hatred and there is rage and there is envy and there is strife and there is conflict. It, it riddles people's lives. So you have an entire family whose life has been upended and then you're going to have another entire family whose life is upended, both the victim and the perpetrator. And so we're going to walk out of that courtroom and we're still going to have this sense of it's not, this was, this is not right. This is not right. And so the, the place that I have to place my hope, we have to place our hope in the injustices that are done to us is that one day everything's going to be made right. And the only person 
the only litigator, arbiter, judge, counselor, all of it that has perfect justice is Jesus. That's it. Because he knows the heart and he sets things right and he restores all things. This isn't going to be right until the restoration of all things. This is not going to be right until all sin and all evil and all crime and all murder and all hatred and all rage and everything that evil, evil represents until it is eradicated. And the only person that can do that is Jesus. We got some advice a long time ago that we needed to settle this in our hearts, have peace in our hearts about this before we ever go into the trial. We got this advice from two different people, and one was from somebody who was very familiar with the court process, and this person warned us this this could get delayed like crazy. And this person warned us um, that they have seen victims' families become unraveled over years and years and years of delays and expectations that somehow the sentencing, the conviction, is going to make it all better. And it's, it's just not true. Now, you know, I say all that with this caveat. I, I do believe that our justice system, for the most part, is the best one in the world in that people should pay for their consequences. There are consequences to actions. You know, in the natural, there is a, a payment that is, is needing to be made to make something right. In the spiritual, that's true as well. The reality is, is that every one of us have sinned. We are guilty in front of the, the ultimate judge, and that is God. And then Jesus stepped in as our litigator, as our counselor, to defend us, and rather than trying to find some kind of loophole to a perfect law to get us off from the crime that we have committed, the crime that deserves death, Jesus decided that he would take our place and he would die on our behalf. And that is why in Isaiah 9, 6, he is called Wonderful Counselor the Prince of Peace. Because there is nothing else that can bring us peace in situations like this than something ultimately being made right. And it's not going to be made right on this side of eternity. It's just not. I wish I could say it was, but it's just not. So as disappointing as last week was, the reality is, is we don't put our hope in it. We don't put our hope in it. We put our hope in Jesus and we trust his timing. His timing is perfect. It's perfect. And I don't have to like it, but I have seen his faithfulness over time to know enough that fighting it does not help. In fact, when I just align myself with the flow of his timing and I surrender and I trust, things just go way better for me for all of us. We live with a lot more peace and a lot more joy. And I know a lot of us could use that this holiday season. Can I, can I share something? I know we're about 30 minutes into this and I want to share something because um, I know many of you guys are experiencing what you would, what you would term as like a, a waiting room season. It feels like things keep getting pushed back or delayed, like promises that God has made you or, expectations that you have, or something is supposed to have, like some ball was supposed to have dropped by now. Like some door was supposed to have opened. Something was supposed to happen in your life, some breakthrough, whatever it is. I mean, you've been in a waiting room, you've been experiencing a delay. And, um, you know, I'll be honest with you. Like that's what this feels like in so many ways. And I have a lot of thoughts on this. I'll see if I can try to summarize those thoughts. I think honestly, <clears throat> these thoughts will one day turn into a book because it feels like this is what God keeps teaching me over and over and over and over. And I do see a lot of it in scripture. 
some of the delays that God's people experienced as they were waiting on God, as they were waiting for him to come through. And that's what, that's what it feels like for our family. Um, you know, I'll be, I'll be frank outside of all of the emotional toll that this is taking, you know, the fact that like I'm gearing myself up to go and sit in a room for an entire week and see, um, Amanda's alleged murderer for the first time in a room. Um, I'm gearing myself emotionally to, to get up and testify and explain what happened that morning, or at least my, my perception of what happened that morning. Um, you know, I, I, I went in the week before all of this to meet with the prosecutors and listen to the 911 call for the very first time. And, um, that was tough. That was really tough. Um, on one hand, it, it's, I seem like a completely different person and that feels like a completely different lifetime ago. And it's just, I don't know. It was just tough to listen to that kind of a moment of trauma. And it's one thing to see it on TV and like a, like a crime special or something like that, which I, I believe, man, this has shown me that America is way, way too amused and entertained by crime. I'm not, I'm not judging you or knocking you. If you listen to crime junkie podcasts or if you watch those things, but I just, just be aware that there's, there are people out there who have been victims of really traumatic crimes that are ultra sensitive to those things. And so just be aware of that. Um, you know, prior to this, I, I probably would have watched and listened to that stuff too. I would have been intrigued by it because it just feels like it's out there. It's not something that affects your life, but man, when it, when it ransacks your life, it's, uh, it's very triggering, you know? So I listened to that 911 call for the first time and, uh, you know, it's we're, we're gearing ourselves up for all of this emotionally and practically and shifting schedules and doing all of those things and trying to stay on the forefront, be preemptive, as I shared earlier, and go on the offense, all those things. Another reason that this is really frustrating is that um, I wrote a book on all of this, on how God showed up for me in the midst of all of this. And it's a book that talks quite a bit about Amanda's story and my story and our stories inter interweave together. It gives you insight into Amanda's life that you've not heard before, different parts of her journal entries and things that I know that are going to minister to you as you're walking through pain, things that I hope are going to minister to the entire world. Um, I hope, honestly, it ministers to as many people as possible. And um, the book has been tied up in the litigation process. We had to um, tender it to the court because of the very first chapter. The first chapter that I wrote is essentially my testimony of what happened. You know, it's me recounting that morning. And so because of that, it can't be public um, until after the trial. And so it can't be published until after the trial. And so you know, this book was finished uh, in 2017 um, based on the uh, recommendation of some very just helpful people, you know, some authors who have been in this space before and advised me to write when everything was fresh because one, it would heal me and they were right. Um, writing that first chapter was the hardest, most difficult and most healing thing I think I've done in this entire journey. I would, I would highly recommend writing down your trauma, like writing your story, um, telling your story, You've heard us talk about this all the time, that this is so imperative when it comes to your healing and other people's healing is learning how to tell your story. And so that was very, very helpful while I was still in the raw emotions of things to write that down. It healed, it helped heal me, but also they recommended to do that because it would help other people because I would be able to connect with them because they, most people are in the midst of the raw in the middle of all of this stuff. And they've not gotten to the quote unquote other side where everything's been turned into these pithy theological phrases, like most, I'm sorry, but a lot of pastor books out there are just sermons that have been regurgitated and compiled into a book. And that's not what I wanted this to be. And so I know I'm rambling right now, but <laughs> I get the, my team basically said, just, just, just talk, give, give us your reflections on this stuff. So here it is. You're getting my reflections. 
Um, so anyways, it, we had to tender it to the court and it's frustrating because I can't imagine how frustrated the publishers are and uh, my agent and I'm having to, we're kind of gearing things up like, okay, when, once the trial's over, then we'll work on releasing the book, which takes a long time to release a book. And there's a, um, a lot that has to be done to launch one these days. And, um, and so we'll get geared up and then I have to break the news to them that this is once again, now my, I mean, I have the most amazing literary agent ever. He is such a Jesus person and he sees the God story in all of this. So he walks with me really well, but there are a lot of reasons this feels frustrating, um, emotionally, practically, um, and ministerially and what our ministry, what it feels like our ministry will be capable of doing once this is, this is done. And I've, we've worked up, you know, strategy sessions and things that <laughs> our team's like preparing for in 2022. And we're, you know, we're excited about ministering to people and helping people and getting this out there. And, oh man, what is it? George Orwell says the best laid plans of mice and men. The scripture talks about it like this, that man plans his ways, but God directs his steps. And so we have to trust in that. But I want to share something with you because this is very appropriate for the Christmas season. Prior to Jesus coming, there was a massive period of quote unquote delay, a waiting season, a waiting season where the people of God didn't hear God's voice for 400 years. If you take your Bible, it's the point in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In between Malachi and Matthew, there's a 400-year period where God was absolutely silent. He didn't speak to any prophets. He didn't speak to any kings. He didn't speak to any priests. He didn't speak to anybody. Now, prior to all of that, God would show up and he would speak in a handful of different ways. And then after Acts, we are there's the priesthood of all believers. The Holy Spirit lives in all of us. And so we're able to hear the voice of God, every single one of us. Now you have to uh, you have to tune your ears or your heart, your soul to be able to hear the voice of God. But there's one point in history where God was absolutely silent, where it was like complete radio silence, and people are going, Okay, where are you, God? Which I would I I, I would probably um I'd probably guess that a lot of people are, are in that situation right now. Like a, where are you, God? Like, what are you doing? Why are we waiting? We're like waiting for, and they were waiting for the coming Messiah. They were waiting for the coronation of this King that was going to set them free. That was going to bring ultimate justice, right? That the government would be on his shoulders and his name shall be called wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the Prince of peace. Those words were written a thousand years before Jesus. So how long were, I mean, a thousand years, guys, like our country hasn't been a country for a fourth of that. Like this is a thousand, I mean, this is crazy. So for 400 years, God is silent. But what's interesting is if you go look at history, which is why I love history, because you can see kind of the interweaving of God's word, God's promises, God's the prophecies with history and how things line up. If you go and look at history, you're going to see that there were a lot of things that were taking place behind the scenes that ultimately were, were, were God's, it was God setting the stage for this coming of the Messiah. You know, uh, it's kind of like when you go to a play and you have like a, an intermission and they have to change the scene. They have to set the, the stage. You know, we just went to the nutcracker uh, took Christy there to the Butler Nutcracker, um, Butler University, and they did phenomenal. Oh my gosh! And then I took Natalia, uh, Christy, and I took Natalia to to one that was like a like the Carmel Ensemble one, and it was just really cute. It's a bunch of like kids and teenagers and stuff that were doing it. But there's an intermission, and when the intermission is over, and it you, the lights, you know, the stage comes back, the curtain comes back up, the scene is completely different. And in that intermission, what they're doing is they're resetting the stage. They're getting things prepared for the second half of this. And this is the story of history, guys. There is a, there is a beginning of history, the Old Testament, the law, where you know, God has made provision for the people of Israel, for his people to have salvation, to be able to have relationship with him. But it's through this really clunky, sacrificial system. It was never what he intended. He ultimately wanted and intended for there to be one sacrifice once and for all. And to through the Jewish people, uh, he would extend 
blessing and salvation on into the Gentiles, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. That's what, that's what Old Testament tells us, right? Well, there's this intermission stage in between it, follow me, of 400 years where God is silent, where he's setting the stage. So that when the curtain comes up in Matthew chapter one, right? Or as we all read Luke chapter two, you know, the curtain comes back up. The scene is totally different. And during that time of intermission, God is silent. He's not speaking. But just because he's not speaking, just because he seems absent, doesn't mean he's not active. In fact, I would say the times that he seems absent in our life are the times that he's most active behind the scenes, setting the stage for a new scene in your life. Let me tell you what was happening in history. Now, I learned this from originally from Jeff Henderson, who used to be the pastor of Buckhead Church, then Gwinnett Church, and now he's doing kind of his own stuff with four, um, I, think, I think it's just called Four now, but it's like Four Gwinnett and stuff like that. So Jeff Henderson is the first time, and this just stuck out to me, that there were three things, three major things that God was doing behind the scenes historically to set the stage for the Messiah. The first one is that there was um, uh, a, a military uh, strength that was coming through called the Greeks, Alexander the Great, and Alexander the Great was just like conquering everything, you know, and putting everything under his dominion. And then when his kingdom, basically, as he was dying, he split his kingdom into three kingdoms. And then, but one of the things that he did that was super important in that before the Roman empire ends up taking over everything, right, is that he issued a common language. And that common language became the thing that everybody wrote in in that region, that area, like as wide and as, as far as you could possibly uh, travel, there was a common language known as Koine Greek, Koine Greek. Okay. So there's one, this massive common language that everybody would communicate through. No matter what country, no matter what your native language is, you learned Koine Greek. You learned how to communicate, write and speak in that. The second thing was when the Romans came and took over, and you guys knew, right? Like the, the sun never fell on the Roman empire. I mean, just massive widespread conquering. And what one of the things they did is they conquered everything. And then they issued the Pax Romana, which is peace, world peace. How convenient, right? We're going to defeat everybody. And then we're going to declare that there has to be peace, right? So they issue this decree. But what this did is it allowed for safe travel into neighboring nations and city states and all these, you know, you could go from over borders very safely because of the Roman occupation. Now, this was ultimately the government that that was oppressing God's people when Jesus comes on the scene was the Roman government. But they did issue this peace to make travel very easy. Uh, the other thing they did is they innovated their transportation system. So they built what's called Roman roads. You've probably heard of this. And they were very stable roads. They had to hold up to all of the troops, the Roman troops that were going in and out of different nations and city-states and uh, villages and territories and stuff like that. And so there are three things that happened, three things that was being put in place historically, okay? There was a common language. There was world peace that created really good travel. And then what enhanced that travel, number three, is this great transportation system. Okay. Then Jesus comes on the scene and he does this ministry, he talks about the kingdom. He bring, He's talking about God's kingdom. And then ultimately he gives up his life, okay? He dies on the cross, he raises from the dead, and he starts, he issues the church, which would be the, the widespread message of the good news of Christ, the gospel. And what happened there, okay, is that Immediately, they start it in Jerusalem, and then they go to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, as Acts 1.8 tells us they're going to, as it prophesies, and then Acts 8 tells us they get scattered because of persecution. Well, this scattering causes then the gospel to go far and wide and spread out. Now, if the gospel is going to go far and wide, if, if God is going to, like, think about this, if God is going to make the gospel go far and wide, what three things would need to be in place? A common language, which, by the way, the New Testament was written originally in Koine Greek. So all the letters that were being written to all of the churches that were getting started were written in Koine Greek. It's actually the Greek that I had to study in college, four semesters of it. It was very difficult to learn. 
Koine Greek, okay, common language. Then you had all these missionaries that were going out and sharing the gospel and spreading the gospel and starting churches. What would they need? They would need safe travel, the Pax, the Pax Romana, right? And they would need expedient travel. It would need to be quickly, which is the Roman roads, the innovative transportation systems. I mean, guys, look, these three things God was setting the stage for in the intermission, in the 400 years of silence, to get ready for the breakthrough of the coming of the Messiah. Whew, man, I feel like I'm about to start preaching. You got, you're getting my reflections and you're getting my preaching. I'm so sorry. Listen, if you're walking through a waiting period right now, take heart. If you feel like things are being delayed, take heart because God is setting the stage. He's getting things ready. He might be getting you ready. Maybe if he brought the thing into your life that you're anticipating, you're hoping for, you're waiting for, maybe if he brought it into your life right now, it wouldn't be a blessing. It'd be a curse. Maybe, maybe it would crush you. The weight of it, the responsibility of it would crush you. Maybe if he brought into your life, the thing that you're expecting or anticipating or hoping for or waiting for, Maybe it wouldn't be a blessing at this point. Maybe it'd be a curse. Maybe the weight of it or the responsibility of it would crush you. Maybe your personal life, maybe your personal systems aren't ready for it. Maybe the infrastructure of your heart, of your soul, of your life, of your family's life, maybe it's not ready. Maybe, maybe it's not you. Maybe it's the world. Maybe the world's not ready for it. Maybe there's some kind of chess pieces that God has to put in place for the world to get ready for God to bring this thing into your life. You know, I don't, I don't know. And, and honestly, I'm asking that question over and over and over of the Lord. God, which one is it? Is it me? Is it the world? What is it? And I can't control the world, <laughs> but I can control me. And and I, and I have stewardship over certain things in my life. And so what we've been trying to be vigilant about is just getting the infrastructure of our life ready for whatever this is, whatever God wants to do in this. Um, I could spend hours talking about what that means, but at the, at the end of the day, that's what we keep thinking about is how do we steward whatever God wants to bring into our life? How do we steward it well? My mom used to say, too much is given, much is required. And I don't know why our story became this really big public thing. I mean, frankly, I interact with so many people who've gone through just as, if not more tragic things. And um, nobody knows who they are. Nobody's heard of them. It's partially why we started the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I want you to hear of them. I want you to know who they are. I want you to hear their story. It moves me. I want it to move you. I want it to point to the goodness of God. I want, I want, I want to put those stories on display. But, but I do know that for whatever reason, the story, our story became public and we have to steward this in in the public eye. And there are many days that I resent that, to be honest with you. There are many days I, I, I fight that. And then there are days that I accept it. And my hope is, is that through our transparency that you would be encouraged and ministered to. And so we have just been going, okay, Lord, Help us to get ready. Get ready. That's my encouragement to you. That's my challenge to you. As you go into this Christmas season, as you feel like maybe you're in a delayed period, a waiting period, what are the things that you can do to get ready? I don't, I don't just mean get ready for some kind of thing that God's going to bring into your life. How do you get ready for Jesus? 
There were a lot of people in the little town of Bethlehem that were not ready for the Messiah. There was no room in the inn. They weren't ready. That inn, if they had taken in the Messiah, can, can you imagine how well that inn would be still doing to this day? <laughs> it's like the, like the tourist attraction of, the, of all of history, right? It would be, but now that inn is a footnote. If it even, ex- I mean, I'm doubtful that it exists. I've been to Bethlehem. I doubt it exists, but they weren't ready. But Mary and Joseph were faithful. And they stewarded that season of silence, questioning and doubt and waiting. They stewarded it well. And then their hearts were ready and prepared. When God shows up, angel shows up and gives them the craziest, most bizarre news any human being could receive. They saw it through a good eye and said, you know what? That sounds just like God. This all makes sense. So let's steward it. That's my encouragement to you. That's my challenge to you. Um, And I hope that just me kind of rambling right now with all of my reflections and stuff on, on all of this has been helpful to you. Thanks for letting me do it. Thanks for tuning in. Um, I don't take that lightly. I know that uh, you've got a lot of other things that you could be doing. A lot of other people you could be listening to. And I appreciate you. Thank you for your prayers and we will keep you updated as things move along. Um, if you want to, you can follow us on Instagram. You can follow uh, Nothing Is Wasted at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. You can follow me at Davy Blackburn. You can follow Aubrey at Obsamp. You can also subscribe to our email list. Just go to nothingiswasted.com or mypaintapurposeplan.com. Um, right now, we have a uh, all the way through Christmas, we have a big sale going on in all of our um, devotional coaching uh, courses, all that stuff. Um, we want to going to help you out in this Christmas season. I know that finances can be tight. And so maybe you want to use this as an opportunity to get some Christmas gifts for people to help them as they're going through their healing. Um, and we'll keep you up to date as we go into uh, this, this next year and the spring and April and, and how all that's panning out. I love you guys. I can't wait to do next year with you and alongside of you. Can't wait to figure out more ways to serve you and the people that you know who are going through really tough times. Keep sharing this. Uh, keep um, suggesting people to listen to this. And uh, thanks again to Sleeping at Last for providing all the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Next week, we have a special episode. It's our 200th episode. Aubrey and I are going to talk through some things together, and uh, you're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be a really, really cool episode. So uh, join us next week for our 200th episode. And uh, thanks so much for tuning in today.